Good morning. My name is David Stancil, and um, I am uh, from Brooklyn. So greetings from your brothers and sisters in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I've known Mark Middlecoff. Uh, we went to seminary together at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. And so I've known Mark for several years, over 10 years now. And um, I've been here probably three or four times before through, since the church uh, was planted several years ago. And one of the things that I am just, every time that I'm here with you, um, I am overwhelmed uh, with God's presence, um, that God is at work in this place. He is at work here, and I just want to remind you of that, that uh, as I come and visit uh, with you guys and worship with you, um, that God is here. He's here in this worship service with us now, and he's at work um, on the East End, and he's doing mighty things. And so I just want to just tell you what I witness and what I see as, as a source of encouragement. Um, so uh, one of the things... Um, uh, to know about me is I don't really listen to many podcasts, but there's one podcast that I've been listening to recently um, called Hardcore History. Any of you guys ever listen to Hardcore History? Yeah, you do. Awesome. Okay, I would highly recommend it. Um, it's excellent. It's an excellent podcast. Like I said, I don't listen to many podcasts, but I've been listening to this podcast, and the one uh, episode that I started with is uh, sort of uh, retells the story of World War One and how it, how it got started. Uh, some of the events that led up to World War I. And uh, it starts with this one event that happened 101 years ago uh, in the summer of 1914. Uh, this one event that occurred was the assassination of Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand of, Aus- of the Austro-Hungarian uh, Empire. He was assassinated by a Serbian nationalist in uh, Sarajevo, Bosnia. And uh, this is a fascinating uh, episode of this podcast because it, it shows how this one event uh, was kind of the beginning, it initiated the inauguration of World War I. Um, uh, I've been listening to this podcast, and Dan Carlin, the, the narrator of the podcast, the one who's retelling these events, uh, he poses this one question at the very beginning uh, of the episode. He asks this question, as we look at the uh, events of history, he says, when you look at any event in history, you can kind of look at them on two ends of the spectrum. You can look at an event and you can think, this was totally the result of chaos. It was just simply chaos. This event, when you look at it, it was just completely the result of chaos. Or you can look at this event on the other end of the spectrum and you could say, this event, was, it just looked predetermined. It looked completely predetermined. Um, what we've been doing at our church in the la- over, the la- over the summer, we've been going through the life of Joseph in the uh, book of Genesis. And it's been a, a fascinating uh, of, uh, uh, time to this series to look at the life of Joseph. Because his life, if you, look at, if you just know anything about his life, or if you look at his life, you read about his life, it's from Genesis 37 through 50. If you ever want to read, sit down and read, it would just take you just a few minutes to read through that story. Um, his life looks completely chaotic, if you look at it. I don't know if you remember some of his life. Just to kind of give you a bit, a bit of a background as we get ready for the, the text that I'm going to read here in a moment. Joseph was born, and he had, he had uh, many brothers. He had 11 brothers that he, uh, that he uh, Jacob was his father. And Jacob considered Joseph his favorite son. And J- Joseph had this dream that everybody was going to bow down to him and worship him. And that was a little, uh, little strange for his brothers to hear this because once he had this dream, he went and told his father and his brothers. And his brothers did, already didn't like him because he was this favorite son. And so they decided they were going to kill him. 
But instead of killing him, they, they, at the last minute they decided they would just sell him into slavery. And he finds himself in Egypt. Now Joseph was this man who had this dream, who thought great things were going to come to him because he had this dream. And he ends up in Egypt. And he ends up in this house of Potiphar. And he tries, and Potiphar, uh, Potiphar is this, uh, this prince in Egypt who tries, he tries to do the right thing because Potiphar's wife tries to invite him um, into her bedroom and he, he flees away from that. But instead he gets blamed for it and he finds himself, even though he did the right thing, uh, fleeing away from Potiphar's wife, he finds himself in prison in Egypt. And he's in prison in Egypt and he feels like he's forgotten. And he, his life just seems chaotic. One plus one doesn't seem to equal two in his life. He seems like he's, he has this dream and he thinks it's going to come to fruition, but it doesn't. He does the right thing and it ends up, he ends up in prison. You ever feel like that in your life where one plus one doesn't equal two? You seem like you're doing the right thing. You seem like if, if I do this, one plus one should equal two, but it doesn't. That's life. That's one of the reasons I feel like this, when we read the story of Joseph, it, we can relate to it because we know that, we know what chaos is life in our, life, in our lives, right? We know that sometimes that one plus one doesn't equal two in our lives. And that's what, what's going on with Joseph. He's living a life of chaos. It seems like what should happen doesn't happen. And he doesn't know where his life is going to go at this point. He started out with his, with his brothers and he thought this great thing was going to happen to him. And it didn't. Instead, he's in prison, and he finds himself not knowing what's going to happen next. And that's where we are. We're going to, uh, in our text, if you can turn in your bulletins with me. Um, uh, it's printed for you here, Genesis 41, verses 14 through 36. Joseph has been leading a life of chaos. And we're going to find out what happens next to him in Genesis chapter uh, 41, verses 14 through 36. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And we had, when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. And when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he was about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven, are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown 
in the land by reason of famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for speaking to us this morning through your word. Uh, We thank you that you are here with us and that you are more ready to reveal yourself to us than we are to seek you. Father, we thank you for your eagerness to reveal yourself. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts that turn to you and to receive your word by faith. We pray that your word would be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, this is true of uh, whenever you read through a st- like a story in the Bible, this is true of any story, but especially in the story of Joseph. One of the ways to think about this uh, as you read through Genesis 37 through 50, if you were to do that, uh, one of the ways is to think about the life of Joseph is in different episodes, like you're watching um, a TV show or something. You know, on episodes, you start out with, with a scene. Um, well, if we were to start out with this episode, if we, this were to be an episode, um, uh, and if I were to be a director or a producer, which I am not by any stretch of the imagination, but if I were a director or a producer, I would start this episode uh, right here that to capture these events that we just read about. I would start at the end of Genesis 40. Um, you can read there if you have a, your Bible there with you. At the end of Genesis 40, we find that Joseph is in prison. Joseph is in prison. Like we said before, his life is, is, it has been nothing but chaos. And what he thought was going to be great things for him, he ends up in prison. And he finds himself, Psalm 105 tells us, he finds himself with, a, with an iron collar around his neck and with chains around his feet. And he finds himself completely forgotten. His family has forgotten him. His friends have forgotten him. He's forgotten no one sees him, no one hears him. He even did a good thing for the cupbearer in, uh, in prison. He interpreted this cupbearer's dreams, and, he, and that got the cupbearer out of, out of prison. But nobody's there for Joseph. Nobody remembers him. The cupbearer doesn't remember him. And you, we, we know what that feeling is like. We know what that feeling is like uh, for our life, not only to be in chaos, but to be forgotten. And we know that. So I, the reason I know that is because sometimes, how many, I, I've never counted, how many times do, I, do you look at your phone during the day? <laughs> Do you check your phone? And what are you doing when you check your phone? I'm checking my phone. I don't know about you, but I'm checking my phone to see if anybody has responded to me with the, with the message that I initiated to them, right? I'm seeing if somebody has remembered the email that I sent them or the text message that I sent them. Or I'm seeing if somebody has initiated to me. I'm checking to see if somebody has initiated to me. I'm, I'm craving that to be remembered as a person, right? That's kind of an a indicator of my desire to be known and to be remembered. And we do that, right? We look at our phones all the time because we want that, uh, that, that uh, you know, that, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? That acknowledgement, if you will, of uh, 
of who we of of being remembered. Um, but for Joseph, he's he's alone in prison. Nobody's there to give him a hug. Nobody's there to listen to him. Nobody is there. He has lived a life of chaos, and he doesn't know if his life is going to change. And that happens. Days and months go on, and years go on, and he is continually forgotten. And he's left just to think, one plus one doesn't equal two. I thought that great things were going to happen to me, and I thought that these things were going to end up in great, uh, in great joy, but they did not. Chaos. Seems like chaos. The cupbearer has forgotten him, and it seems like his life is going to end up in chaos. Well, from that scene, at that scene that we just started with, with Joseph in prison being forgotten, with an iron collar around his neck, with chains around his feet, wondering what in the world is going to happen next. I'd cut from that scene, and then I would cut immediately to the scene where Pharaoh wakes up from a dream. And he wakes up with sweat on his brow, and he wakes up with his heart beating fast. And you can see it in verse 8. Well, if you have your text with me uh, earlier, this is not printed in the bulletin, but in verse 8... Uh, you can see this. He, what he happens is he races out to find out if there's wise men there around him. To, to see, he, and he tells him this dream, this dream that he just had, which makes no sense to us. Did you read that earlier? Did that make any sense to you? These seven, he, these seven thin cows eat up seven fat cows right by the Nile. What in the world does that mean? You probably doesn't, don't know what it means. He didn't know what it means either. He had no idea what this dream meant. And it, but it it made his heart pound and it made him worry and it made him panic. We see that in the text. And he goes to the magicians and he goes to all the wise men and he, he wakes up and he is worried and he's panicked and these magicians and these wise men have no answers for him. So we, we have this first scene where Joseph is forgotten in the prison and we have the second scene where Pharaoh is panicking because he had this weird dream. You ever have weird dreams? I don't want to know about your weird dreams at night. <laughs> right? This is, we don't, we don't, Pharaoh had a really weird dream here, and he doesn't even know what it means. But he's panicking. And he's panicking for two reasons. He's panicking because if you know anything about the ancient Near East and Egypt, Egyptian history, Pharaoh was in control. Right? He was in control of the whole world, really. He was in control. He, what he said went. What he said came to pass. He gave directions, he gave orders, and they came to pass. And now, this was a message that came into his empire, and he could not understand it. He could not make sense of it. And he wanted to know what it meant. And he's getting this sort of, this sort of hint. He's feeling this hint. One of the reasons he's panicking, because he's finding out that he's receiving a message that he can't control, right? One of the hardest parts about being human is realizing that we are not in control. Pharaoh is kind of getting a hint of that, that he's not in control. That he really, is, he really can't create his own story. You know, he really cannot just put something different, change something around, and write his own story and direct and order everything around him. That's because that's the world he lived in. Everything that he did came to pass. There's a, if you'll turn with me to the very beginning of your, uh, very front of your uh, bulletins, there's a quote that I really like from uh, this uh, show called True Detective by a character. Here's what, uh, this, it's a character named Russ Cole. And he says this, uh, in this in this show called True Detective. He says, you see, we all got what I call a life trap. A gene-deep certainty that things will be different. That you'll move to another city, 
meet the people that you'll be the friends with for the rest of your life, or that you'll fall in love and be fulfilled. Right? He, he calls this this life trap, that we can, this, this belief that you and I can, if something doesn't go right, that you and I can write something different into our story and then change, change it a little bit, and then we'll find peace and happiness, right? Just if, if, you, if you and I could just control our stories a little bit and re, rewrite it and redirect it, then we'll be happy. And that's just, a, it, it, that's just a trap. You can fill in the blank with all sorts of things here. The belief that you can write, so whatever it is that's going on in your life right now that you feel chaotic, right? You, you, you have this idea, and I do too, that we want to rewrite something we want to rewrite and order, reorder our lives. And then if, if, if we could just change this up a little bit, that would make us happy. That would give us peace. That would give us comfort. It's this trap. That's what, that's what this quote is about. It's a trap that we keep getting caught in. It's this cycle that we keep getting caught in. We keep rewriting things in our lives, and we keep finding that we're unhappy. We can't write our own stories. And that's what's so hard about being human, right? It's because we are not in control, it's a hard lesson to learn and to relearn is that we are not in control. We keep getting caught in that trap. So Pharaoh, he's having to learn that. He's having to learn that he's not in control. And that's something that we have to learn too. But the second reason why Pharaoh panics, why his heart is pounding, why his brow is sweating when he wakes up from this dream and he wants to know what it means because it happened right by the Nile. And the Nile was... The, so, the, the main source of life for all of Egypt. It was a sign of fertility. And Pharaoh knew that he could promote the well-being of the nation because of the Nile. He could, he could promote the well-being of the nation if the Nile was bearing its fruit. And now Pharaoh sees that the Nile was a place, the setting where this disturbing dream took place. If Pharaoh doesn't get this kind of clear message if you will, that winter is coming or that, that uh, he doesn't even get this clear message that famine is coming, right? He doesn't get that clear message yet, but he has a hint that something is wrong because he knows that the source of life, that his system, this is his system of life is all wrapped up in the Nile, is futile. He sees it in his dream and he gets a hint of that, that Nile, the Nile is futile. And he knows that his, his dream is bad news for Egypt, and that's what's also hard about being human, right? It's not only the fact that we have to come to terms with that we're not in control, but we know that bad news is coming. We all kind of live in fear of it, right? We don't know what it's going to look like for us, but we all live in fear that bad news is coming. Pharaoh didn't quite know what that bad news was going to be, but he knew that that dream was a hint of it. He knew that that dream meant that something was, that his, the, the place where he thought life was, was life-giving was futile. And he, he knew that bad news was coming. And that's what's hard about being human for us is because we know that at some point, bad news is coming. We fear it. And that bad news can come in all forms. It can come in all forms, right? It, you can get that, your spouse tells you they want to get a divorce. Or um, you, you find out that your child has a disorder. Or you find out that your loved one has cancer. Or you find out that you have cancer. Um, a friend of mine um, have been battling cancer for a long time. He just passed away about a week ago. Um, but one of the most remarkable, I, I was able to meet with him a couple times before he passed away uh, about a week ago. And one of the most remarkable things that he said uh, in the final days of his life, um, he said, you know what? I just love life. 
I don't want to die. I love life. And, you know, I've been around cancer. I've been around, you know, I've had lots of loved ones uh, die from cancer. Um, and maybe you have too. But when he said that, that kind of struck a chord with me. Because it's true of me and it's true of you, right? That we love life. All you have to do is just see the sunrise and breathe the fresh air. And you know that you're meant for life. That you're meant to, to breathe fresh air. You're meant to flourish here. We don't want to die. And he was, he, was, he was saying that in such a concise and beautiful way. And it struck a nerve with me. Because I fear what you fear. That ultimately there's some sort of bad news that's coming, right? There's some, some sort of bad news that's around the corner. And I don't know what it's going to look like for you. And I don't know sometimes what it's going to look like for myself. But we know that bad news is coming. We, we live in this sort of uh, in-between world where we know that we're meant to live and to breathe and to have life, but yet we know that ultimately that bad news is that death is coming. It's coming for all of us. That's, that's the bad news, right? That death is coming for all of us. And we don't know what our stories are going to look like, but we, knew, we do know where those stories are headed, that that bad news is coming. We don't know what, how, what, how it's going to take shape. And we will spend all our energy trying to avoid it, Right? We spend all of our energy trying to avoid it, and yet at the same time, we spend all sorts of energy trying to prepare for it. The death is coming. And so we find in Genesis chapter 41 here, it just seems like chaos just reigns. It just seems like all these events that are taking place, it's just chaos. It just seems like Joseph has ended up in prison, and his life is a result of chaos. Pharaoh has this dream, and Egypt is going the life that they were enjoying is going to just end up in chaos. And you and I can feel like sometimes that our life is just a result of chaos. It just feels like chaos. The, the darkness is just reigning over us. But if we keep reading, uh, the story goes on. And the story goes on too. Actually, um, uh, I told you earlier about uh, the, the podcast that I listened to by uh, the Hardcore History. Um, actually, Dan Carlin looks at this one event um, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand. And he shows how of almost any event in history, he, he claims that almost any event in history, if you look at this, this event actually looks like it was predetermined. <laughs> because what happened, I don't know if you know the story, but what happened with Franz Ferdinand is that the, the Serbian nationalists were planning to assassinate him. And they made this plan. He, Franz Ferdinand was, uh, was going through this motorcade and they made this plan to, to assassinate him. And these Serbian nationalists came up and their plan failed. And they all sort of dispersed. And this one guy ended up going kind of just to, to, just to sort of sulk uh, that the plan failed into a cafe. And he was just bummed out that the plan failed. And he went into this random cafe. And, you know, he was there for a few minutes. And he just happened to kind of finish his drink. And he walked out. And lo and behold, Franz Ferdinand is five feet in front of him. And what happened was the motorcade actually got stopped and ended up going down the wrong street. And it got stuck. And what happened was the Serbian nationalist comes out and he realizes that this Franz Ferdinand, the whole plan that had just looked, looked like it had just folded, he took his gun out and he assassinated him. <laughs> and it was that event that, lit, that kind of inaugurated the events of World War I. And Dan Carlin retells that story. The narrator retells the story um, 
as, as one that just absolutely, completely changed our whole world. That it, it uh, was the, the end of this old world and it inaugurated the beginning of this new world. And I think that's why this is so compelling is because this narrator retells these events from a different perspective. What, what you think looks like chaos, he kind of begins to show how these chaotic events that, that seemed, again, to be a result of chaos actually were actually looked predetermined. They looked like they had purpose in it. And that's what's true of this text too. If you'll continue looking with me at the text, the, cha- the scene changes with Pharaoh again. And we notice that the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph. And Pharaoh calls him out of prison because he can't find anybody to inter- interpret his weird dreams. And so the cupbearer says, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I, there was somebody I met in prison who interpreted my dream. And Joseph had been, it had been about two years since the cupbearer had forgotten him. And they, so they call Joseph out. And if we look at the text, Joseph, what happens is he begins to, to retell the story. But he retells it from God's perspective. Did you notice that when we read it earlier? Look back at the text. He retells the story from the perspective of God's purposes. And he, may, he, he makes it clear throughout the whole passage. Look at me at verse 16. He says, it is not in me. God will give you a favorable answer. In verse 25, he says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. He says the same thing in verse 28. God will reveal this to you, has revealed this to you. And then in verse 32, God will shortly bring it about. Do you see what, God, what Joseph is doing? He's taking Pharaoh's dream and he's retelling it from God's perspective. He's retelling it from the perspective of God's purposes. He always starts with, this is what God is revealing. This is what God is doing. This is what God is doing through this. And he's revealing, yes, what he's telling him is, yes, bad news is here. Famine is coming. And God is the one who is going to bring it. Is that what what, uh, God's purpose is in all this? Is that what God's purpose is, just to be the one who claims responsibility for the destruction that's about to come? Yeah, I've been... been, uh, wrestling with this, these chapters through this summer. And that's one of the questions I've kind of been wrestling with most of all in this text here is, what is God's purpose in this event? When we read some stuff like this in the Bible, what is God's purpose here? Is his purpose just to claim responsibility for the destruction that's going to happen? What is God's purpose in this event? And I think that's a question that we, have, we ask in our own lives too. When we try to interpret the, the events in our lives, we kind of ask, what is God's purpose in this? What is God's purpose in my loved one who has cancer? What is God's purpose in when I get sick? What is God's purpose in this uh, divided relationship that I have? I, we have a hard time understanding what God's purpose is in all this. And here Joseph is, and he's retelling this story to Pharaoh, and he's saying, saying he's telling it through God's purpose. And here's what his purpose is. God's purpose involves... Joseph retelling the story, and what happens is, is Joseph enters into the story as God's representative. So Joseph retells the story, and then he enters into it as God's representative. Look at verse 33. Joseph says, now therefore. That's a key, key word there. That's a key phrase. Now therefore. It means something's about to change. And he reveals, what, what happens is in the, late, in the verses following that, he reveals a plan that's going to help sustain life and provide salvation for Egypt during the famine. See, that's God's purpose right there. Is that 
there's a representative who comes into the world who shows that God's purpose is life and salvation, to bring life and salvation. It's always his purpose. That's what the Bible is about right there, that God wants to bring a representative into our world to show us that his purpose is life and salvation. See, death was never meant to be a part of God's story. It was never meant to be a part of God's purpose for this world. And when we hear bad news, right, we want, what is, what's the first thing, our first reflex? Our first reflex is to look up at God and to say, why, right? Why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to that person? Why would you do this to that country? Why would you do this? To, to, to respond in sadness and in anger, to look up. And one of the things I think that we forget, that I forget, because it's a natural reflex, right, to look up at God and to question him. It's a natural reflex. But one of the things that we forget is that death was never meant to be a part of his purpose and that God is looking down at those same events that you and I are looking at and he's looking at them with even more sadness and with even more anger. And we forget that he has the same feelings about those events that you and I do because you see that death is an enemy. It's our enemy and it's the enemy of God too, right? Death is the enemy of God. It was never meant to be a part of his plan for our lives and his purpose for our lives. And when, he, when we look up at God, we've got to remember that God is looking down at these same events and he has sadness and anger about it as well. His purpose is to defeat death. His purpose is to bring life and salvation for the world. You see, and God is retelling the story. He's retelling your story and he's retelling the story of the world. And he wants us, he wants us to know the bad news. He wants us to know that death is coming. He wants us to know the bad news. He wants us to face it. But the beautiful thing is that it doesn't end there. He has good news for us. His purpose is to bring life and salvation to the world. And what we've been doing is, uh, in our church over the summer, when we look at Joseph, we've been kind of asking the question, and we, you can ask the question of any text, really. How does this text show us what Jesus looks like, Right? How does this text point to Jesus? And we've been looking at how Joseph looks like Jesus. And here's where I think that we begin to see that Joseph looks like Jesus. Right? Joseph uh, looks like Jesus because God's purpose involved Jesus coming into this world and retelling the story of the world, retelling our stories. What did Jesus do when he came into the world? He announced that the kingdom of God had come. And he announced that whoever believed in him, what, shall not perish, but would have everlasting life, right? They shall not perish, they shall not die, but they shall have everlasting life. That was Jesus retelling our stories. He was retelling your story that if you believe in him, then you will have everlasting life. You shall not perish, but you shall have everlasting life. Jesus was retelling our stories. Jesus was, came into the world as, our, as a representative of God. He entered the scene as God's rep- representative. He was the revelation of God's plan for salvation. That's how the Bible talks about him. That Jesus came into the world and he was the revelation for God's plan of life and salvation. That he was God's representative, completely changing and retelling the story from death to life. God's entire plan is to defeat death. When you think about who God is, when you think about and you look at the world, because that's, that's what so much of life is, trying to discern 
the events that we're going through and trying to understand who God is. And one of the things that we need to know that the Bible tells us is that when we look at the events in this world, we can know that God longs for those things to have life and salvation in them, that he longs to defeat death. That is what we need to know about God. Death is his enemy and that he has gone to all measures to defeat it. And how has he defeated it? He sent his son, his representative, Jesus, to die on the cross to defeat death because he rose again. He defeated death. He died on the cross and he rose again and he defeated death once for all. And that's your story. That is your story. God has retold your story. That, your story is not the bad news alone. Your story is that God has sent his son, Jesus, into this world to save us from darkness. It's not chaos. Chaos doesn't rule in our lives and in our world. No, God is reordering our world around life and salvation. Whatever bad news that we fear that has actually become a reality maybe in our lives, that's not the truest thing about you. That's not the truest thing about me. The truest thing about you is that Jesus has died on the cross for you and that Jesus has risen from the dead and he will give you new life. The truest thing about us is that the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's actually been a really helpful, for me, uh, helpful way for me to think about it. The, the light and darkness that... that uh, that light has shone into this world and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a beautiful scripture that I read the other day. It's Hosea 6. If you ever get a chance to read Hosea 6, it's this beautiful passage. It says this, that the coming of our God is as sure as the sunrise. Isn't that beautiful? The coming of our God is as sure as the sunrise. In other words, the sun rose this morning, and you know what happens? When the sun rises, it completely takes over the darkness, right? I was um, on, about five years ago, I was on vacation uh, with my brother and his family. And we, uh, my brother uh, lives in Georgia, and we often meet, kind of try to meet somewhere in between. We met in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And we, you know, we like to kind of hang out, watch movies and whatnot when we're on vacation together. So my, bro- my brother went to the, to the grocery store, going to Redbox, and he picked up a mo- couple movies. He, and he came back and he said, you know, I got, I got a great movie. It's uh, about a father and a son. And I said, that's awesome. Okay, cool, yeah, we're going to watch that tonight. And so he said, I said, what's it called? He said, it's called The Road. And uh, I said, okay, great, that's awesome. We're going to watch a a movie about a father and a son. So we put it in. And I don't know if you've ever watched this movie. It is a movie about a father and a son. But it's set in a post-apocalyptic world where the sun doesn't shine anymore. I don't know if you've ever read the book or seen the movie. But the sun doesn't shine. (laughs) It was one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen in my life. My daughter was uh, just an infant at the time, and uh, it was my responsibility. The next, I went to bed, uh, probably the most disturbed I've ever been. Kind of probably felt like Pharaoh, where I was just so disturbed. And I went to bed, and I woke up the next morning, and, and my daughter woke up really early, and, and we went for a walk on the beach. And I have never been so excited to see the sunrise in my life. <laughs> have you ever seen the sunrise at the beach? You know what I'm saying? Like where the sun rises at the beach, and you're like, it's rising the darkness it just takes over the darkness doesn't it right it just takes over the darkness and i took joy in seeing that sunrise <laughs> because that is the story of the world that god wants to completely shine his light in your life and in my life and in the life of the world and he he wants his light to completely take over the darkness 
That is God's plan and God's purpose for our lives and for the life of the world. I want to close with a a quote that's actually in the front of your bulletin from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Friends, may may we see this world, may we see our lives through that lens, the story of salvation, through the light of God's salvation. Uh, Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is uh, ultimately revealing yourself to us, that you are a God who um, is more than eager to reveal yourself to us, but you are a God who longs to be in relationship with us, who longs to give us salvation. It's not a duty for you. You delight to give us salvation. And you remind us of that every morning when the sun rises. You remind us that your light has, sh- has, has shined into this world and that you want to overcome the darkness. And you have through your son, Jesus. I pray that when we would look at the cross, that we would see that. That we would see that your cross was the purpose of uh, the world. Your, that the cross of Jesus... At the cross, you defeated death and you gave us life. Lord, I pray that that, we would know that and cling to it. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, now we come to a time in our service where we celebrate just what we heard from God's Word. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is the light of the world and that he is the bread of life. And that his purpose is to give us life. His purpose is to overcome death and to give us life. And that's what this meal is about. This meal is about us coming forward to partake of the life that God has for us. That he has poured out his, he's poured out his blood for us and he's, he's uh, broken his body for us on the cross. And so uh, as, it, as it is at Grace Presbyterian Church, we welcome all people who have uh, been baptized and have, uh, are members of a, of a church that preaches the gospel to come forward. But we want you to come forward as people who are hungry, who are hungry to, to lean on Jesus and to partake of him. And so if that defines you this morning, we want to invite you. Um, but we realize that there are other people here that that, might not be, that may not be the case. If that's the case for you, we invite you to, to remain in your seats and, and to pray as well. So um, I want to, uh, now we have, uh, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to have bread here. I'm going to invite you forward to take bread. You can take bread here from uh, this tray. We also have uh, wine in the, uh, in the trays as well. We have uh, wine and grape juice. Wine is the darker color. Uh, grape juice is the uh, lighter color, if you will. So we, we're going to come forward in two lines. We're going to receive bread, receive wine. I'm going to ask that you would take that back to your seats. And then we are going to partake of that together as one body. So those who are, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite those who are helping with communion to please come forward. Let us pray. Father, we do give you thanks that you are the bread of life. We give you thanks that you, at this table, show us that you have shed your body for us, that you've shed your blood for us, and that you've broken your body for us, that we may have life, that we may have life in you. We give you thanks, Father, for sending your Son into this world, even though we had turned away from you, that you sent your Son into this world to die for us. 
We give you thanks, Jesus, that you are the bread of life. We give you thanks, Jesus, that you uh, have delighted to give your life for us and that you have risen from the dead. Lord, we thank you. We pray that this meal that we partake uh, would be uh, an act of faith for us, that we would come forward and partake and remember and believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.